For a Toronto FC team that would go on to have a record-setting season, 2017 did not get off to a great start. They would drop points, cough up leads, had some key injuries over the first few months of 2017, and what could probably be labeled as their first MLS Cup hangover. It didn't take the team long to figure things out, however. By the end of May, it strung together eight games unbeaten and were well on their way to becoming the best version of themselves. My name is Mitchell Tierney. You're listening to the Northern Pitch Podcast, a collaboration between Derby Magazine and Footy Talks. On this week's show, former Toronto FC captain Stephen Caldwell stops by to discuss the start of the 2017 season. But first, we mean business. Tag Moyo. Yes, sir. We mean business. Down the memory lane. Oh man, it was it was good because 2016, like when we were talking about um, the 2016 finals, it was it was fun. But because I was like actually working in 2017, reliving some of like the moments and rewatching some of the games. Um, was super fun because there were moments where I remember and like shots that I remember but it was also just crazy to see um, emergences of certain players like um, Raheem and even like it wasn't really an emergence but um, Toss was just like killing it too in the start so it was it was fun to be able to rewatch th- those moments. Yeah absolutely the thing that uh, the thing that I'd completely forgotten about that that stood out to me a lot and especially you talking about the 2016 MLS Cup was the way they started the year which Opening game, Rio Tinto Stadium, 31 minutes into the game, Sebastian Javinko gets a penalty kick and misses, and they draw nil-nil against Real Salt Lake. Like, I forgot yeah. that's how they started the season, and, like, in hindsight, that's actually so hilarious <laughs> that, like, it's been a couple months removed from, uh, from losing the MLS Cup final on penalties. They, they missed a penalty kick to start the year. Then, of course, their first goal of that season, Josie Altidore, the next game against the Philadelphia Union, on a penalty kick when Sebastian Javinko had gone off injured. So it just all comes full circle, doesn't it? That's just the beauty of, of football, man. It's like one moment you can hate the penalties, but then the next moment it's like, all right, all, all that negativity is gone and let's keep rolling. <laughs> yeah, in some ways, some of the worst moments in Toronto FC's history obviously have come on the penalty kicks. We talked about them last week, you know, three final losses on penalty kicks. But then you've got the Pozuelo chips that have happened in recent years. Like, uh, I feel like Pozuelo's just like made penalties. Like, made penalties I don't even funny. care anymore. I'm like, yo, <laughs> let, can, po- like, can pause shoot all of them and just like Panenka every time? That would be, ma- that would be super wavy, I think. Yeah, again, if you if you guys are looking for something to do, uh, go back and watch Christian Jack sit down with Alejandro Pozuelo on TSN about <laughs> penalty kicks because it's Mitch's favorite hilarious. story. Mitch's yeah, favorite story. I remember them playing that before the Atlanta United match last year, and just just so funny. But um, as I said, this week's guest is Stephen Caldwell. We're really looking forward to getting his take on. I think his first season actually calling games for TSN. Um, so, without further ado, let's get to the interview. We are now joined by former Toronto FC captain, Scotland international, and current soccer analyst at TSN, Stephen Caldwell. Stephen, pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me on, Mitchell. Looking forward to it. Yeah, well, we're asking you to uh, once again cast your mind back to, I, I believe, your first season, uh, you know, calling for a full season at least games for yeah. TSN um, in 2017. And, you know, for, for a season where Toronto FC um, broke – at the time, the MLS points record won a number of trophies. It wasn't the uh, it wasn't the greatest start for them. Um, the the first couple of games, I think they only had the lead for 35 minutes. I was remembering they won um, only one of them, so a lot of struggles off the top. Um, what do you what do you do? You kind of attribute that to at the time. Um, 
Hard to say, really. I, I think there was still a, a little bit of hangover from the season before. Probably just slow start. Sometimes these things happen. You know, you have a, a great pre-season and you think everything's going to go so smoothly and then, you know, the real games start and, and you're just a little bit off. Um, from what I remember, they actually played pretty well in, in, in some of the games, a few of the games. Like, they should have beat Salt Lake. Seven missed the penalty kick. The first game of the season uh, when they were they were away in Utah, and um, and so they, they they had a little bit of bad luck. You know, three of the first four games were obviously draws. Again, I think they should have beat Sporting Kansas City in the, mm-hmm. the home opener. Um, so yeah, like I say, sometimes these things happen. You just you, you're just not getting the luck at the start of a season, or or things aren't quite as gelled as you would like, and um, and it's just a case of trying to remain calm as a squad and. Greg Vanny's coaching staff, I'm sure, just settling the guys down and telling them that it's, you know, it's a 34-game regular season and a playoffs. It's not going to be one in the first month. You know, you can you can sort of get two down in the first month with your, with your results rather than focusing on the performances. Yeah, and like even um, going off of that, you were saying with the hangover and injuries, um, we Clint Irwin kind of lost his spot early during that time. Uh, he went down with like a an unlucky injury and then Bones just kind of took took charge of that yeah yeah it's um I think it was a pivotal moment in the season and it, it was coming because Alex Bono was playing really well in in pre-season Clint Irwin was obviously the, the number one but Bono was pushing them close to the point where I think a lot of people were, were expecting a change maybe coming and, and, and Greg Vanny was loyal to Clint Irwin I don't think Clint was playing particularly badly but there was that inevitability about, you know, maybe there was a point Clint would be out of the team and, and Alex would get his chance and we'd probably take it. I just think he was at that moment in his career where he was feeling really good. And unfortunately for Clint, and, and I guess the, the moment of luck for Alex was was him getting injured, Clint Irwin mm-hmm. getting injured against Casey in that opener and uh, and going down and, and for a decent amount of time. So, you know, if, if Vanny had pulled uh, Irwin out for a game and gave it to Bono, I'm not sure he would have kept Bono in. I think that the injury was was um, was was crucial because it gave Bono that you know five or six games where Irwin was actually incapable of playing, mm-hmm. and it allowed him to settle and to show consistent performances. And then once Irwin got fit, obviously he, he couldn't get away back in because of the form of Alex. Yeah, he Clint only went on to start. I think it was six matches yeah. um, for the rest of the season. So it was really, uh, it really had an effect. Yeah, it did. And, and the matches that he started were like cup games and and the odd the odd league game where uh, where obviously Greg decided to just try and keep him sharp in case he was going to be needed when when it came to the nitty gritty. But um, yeah, Bono was the undoubted number one and. Um, and unfortunately for Clint, he'll probably look back and say, well, it was that injury. He would have backed himself, I'm sure, to stay in the team for the whole season. But I, I think there was an inevitability to it just because of the form of Alex Bono. He was just in, in that moment in his career where he was going to grab the starting spot. Mm-hmm. The start of that season also saw the the transition to the three five two formation, which uh, we saw a little bit during the 2016 playoffs, but evidently ended up being pretty critical to Toronto FC's success that season. Um, what was it about that formation that really got the best out of Toronto FC? A number of things. Uh, you know, Greg Vanny had to find a formation that had two at the top because of his designated players and Jovinko and Altidore, neither of them really wanted to play it wide. 
So, you know, you need, you need to find a formation that can accommodate two strikers. And so the season before, I think the 4-4-2 diamond was kind of preferred where they, they, they tried to kind of cover um, defensively uh, for, for Javinko and Altador being up top. But the, the important thing for me uh, was the attacking fullbacks. So Morrow and Betisure liked to get forward. They were really high. Um, it gave them a little bit more security at the back there when, when they guys went forward. And uh, the, the signing, uh, Chris Mavinga, I think was crucial. I think he was a, a left-sided centre-back they were looking for with the capabilities of stepping forward with the ball, good on the ball, naturally left-footed. Uh, Hagland had played there a little bit on the left-hand side and he did a really good job, but I don't think he was as comfortable, obviously, in possession as Mavinga was. So... They, they were crucial. Drummer's leadership at the back as well was, was really important that he was in the team, but I think he was a better player at that stage of his career in a three rather than in a two because maybe his mobility was, was you know, not quite as, as strong as it had been in, in the earlier stages of his career. So a number of things, Vasquez, free roll, yep. Bradley at the base of the midfield could go on and on. But when you look back and you think of the, 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 the starting 11 that, that started most games that year, this three five two suited most people. There were there was very few who kind of missed out because of the change in formation. Yeah, and and you we spoke on Mavinga. Mavinga he 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 ended up proving to be very helpful, but he got off to a pretty rough start. Um, the game against Atlanta, where he just got exposed, kind of watching the ball and not marking man. Um, how do you how do you think he managed to get over that? Because he did get benched um, for four games afterwards. Yeah, he, he had a really poor game in the Atlanta game. He made a big mistake. Atlanta were, were an excellent side and, and punished them that night. But I think maybe it was just acclimatising to MLS. Um, Greg Vanney decided to take him out after that, probably to protect him. In hindsight, it was a good decision. But at the time, I, I think I was probably a little critical of Greg Vanney taking him out rather than keeping him in there and, and seeing if he could... Uh, come through it but eventually his class was going to prevail and he was going to end up back in the team um, but like I said he was he was crucial to that year's success because he, he brought a balance to that left hand side and he also brought a pace to the back line that was needed uh, you know Zavaleta and, and, and Drew Moore maybe not the quickest I think Mavinga gave them that 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 pace there and allowed Morrow to get really high. Morrow was, was tremendous in 2017, scored a number of goals and he was excellent because Mavinga could cover that whole side, could go into wide areas and, and allow Morrow to be really high and, and adventurous. Yeah, shortly, shortly thereafter, Toronto FC um, really started to take off. I mean, they went eight games unbeaten between April 21st and, and May 26th. Um, a run made all the more impressive by the fact that Sebastian Javinko missed the greater part of five games. Uh, you know, th- that was the point of the season, I think, where um, everyone really realized not only how good this team was, but also how deep it was as well. And, you know, had pieces that were stepping up from, you know, that, that really weren't expected to. Yeah. Yeah, a number of players who, who stepped forward and had big moments, played some big matches. And I think the the squad was really strong that year. I, I think that they always turned out uh, at least one of the, the top four, being Michael Bradley, Victor Vasquez, Jose Altador, Sebastian Javinko. And I think that the form that the four guys were in was, was really vital, that 
one of them was was pretty much there all the time to to kind of lead the team. So it allowed the youngsters to come in and and feel settled and worry about their own performances. But um, yeah, I mean, Raheem uh, Edwards springs to mind. He's he's one that I thought was was excellent whenever he came in. Uh, Hamilton had his moments. He scored some goals. Chapman. Um, you know, everyone really, everyone played their part in a season that was, uh, that again, confidence was high. When you go and runs like this, confidence is high. And people always think the confidence is high in the guys that are playing, but it's also high in the, the players that um, that kind of come in from the sidelines because they're they're feeling good and, and, and they're basking in the kind of, uh, the, the, the warm feel from the, the victories really. So yeah, it was, um, it was a good time for TFC and everybody was contributing. It was it, speaking on on Raheem again a little bit more. Um, it was like you said, players came in and I feel like they just had this sort of confidence. I don't know about them. Raheem came in and nobody really knew anything about him. I know personally, I knew nothing really um, about him when he came in. But when when he was playing, um, especially at the start, it was almost every game he would either put in a cross that led to a goal or just an extremely threatening chance, which was um, wild because, again, he wasn't really a big-name guy when he when when he was in. Yeah, he, he came through the, the academy and he had played some TFC2 games. I, I certainly knew about him just being about the place. and mm-hmm. I think I trained with Raheem a few times before I retired. Um, but, but I knew him really well and I knew he was a lad with talent. It was just a case to try to like package that talent up and get out there at that level. So... Um, I wasn't too surprised that he was capable. He, he was sort of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He, he was he's adapted to become like a, a wing back rather than the winger that he was um, in the, the academy teams and, and through TFC 3 and 2. So I think that was a crucial part. You know, I, I do think he was a better wing back. And again, he was playing an excellent side and he was playing on a side that, he could be a, a very attacking wing back. You know, he wasn't really asked to defend for long periods or to to be to be isolated one v one. So he had his moments. He, he had the best year of his career. He uh, he scored goals. He, he did just about everything from that that area. And he was an able deputy to, to in my opinion, the best left sided player in the league that year, Justin Morrow. So you know, um, Morrow was was the man. And whenever he was out the team, then Raheem Edwards uh, certainly. Didn't uh, didn't embarrass himself and, and showed that he was capable of being a, a good understudy. Yeah, that left side was really now, now that you yeah it was that was with him and more it was a, yeah. a hard day for defenders. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I think for me the most memorable game during that time was was the rematch against the Seattle Sounders, where you know they go into CenturyLink. They're without Javinko, Vasquez, Andrew Moore, uh, who evidently are three pretty critical parts of the team. And then they're able to to get a one nail win that they were, you know, quite deserving of. I think Greg Vanny after the game called that a pretty defining moment of the season. You know, how important must that have been for them to to get the results against obviously the team they had just lost the MLS Cup final to, but also to do so, um, you know, where they completely show off how deep the squad is. Yeah, they, they went there um, deciding to rest a lot of players and, and it's, it's sort of trait of Greg Vanny's. He likes to to maybe make some changes when they go out west, which which freshens the thing up. He's often changes his goalkeeper, actually, when he goes out west and, 
and things like that. So, you know, it was it was strange to see a lineup that day and to see so many players not playing, not there. Uh, but, you know, like, I think Alador scored the goal, didn't he? So he was still playing. It's back to that core of four players. There was always like one of them out there at least uh, leading the team. And, and Alador was brilliant, as was the whole team. It was a defensive display. And it was, in some ways, type of performance that Seattle put on at BMO Field to, to win MLS Cup in 2016. So I'm sure the revenge was pretty sweet in the way that they, they went about the victory. But whenever you go out west to play a, a Galaxy or a, a Sounders or, or one of the big guns and, and you come away with a victory like that, it's, it's always special and it builds confidence yet again. So I, I think it was a, a big moment for, for the squad in general, for the group. And, uh, and of course, the three points was not to be underestimated against the team that had just hurt them, you know, a few months before. Yeah, and that run culminated with a, a massive win over um, the Columbus crew. And I, yeah. I guess you could call it their first trophy of the season. I don't know what you, your opinions are on the Trillium Cup. I know uh, Terry Dunfield. Derby. Yeah, a Terry Dunfield Derby. once said he he wishes he could punt that trophy into Lake Ontario. So I'm not sure if your your feelings are similar. Or, um, but, you know, at the same time, a, a big win against a team that would end up being the Eastern Conference finalists 5-0 and they were actually down to 10 men because Marky Delgado got sent off but I remember that being the first game where um, you know Victor Vasquez really took charge he put that free kick under under the uh, Columbus wall and had another goal himself and you know during that run was when we first really saw how good Victor Vasquez could be and how well he combined with Javinko and Altidore when you know they, they started to push him up a little bit uh, to, to play closer to them. Yeah, yeah, Vasquez was was a, a genius. He was an absolutely brilliant player. I, I think he's one of the best players that's ever played for TFC, in my opinion. And and seventeen was just an exceptional season for him. And uh, I remember that game well. They were playing against a good Columbus Crew team, as as the end of the season showed, and they they completely dominated them. But what this what the TFC side in twenty seventeen did so well was that they really. They really capitalised on big moments in games. And this was another one of them where they, they, they were just ruthless and clinical when it mattered. And uh, and that night, even though they completely deserved the victory, 5-0 flattered them a little bit because they were just absolutely ruthless. They almost scored every time they got the ball, you know, and uh, they were comfortable in the game early on. The game was won, so it allowed them to be more expressive. But Vasquez was... He pulled his strings that night. He was absolutely brilliant. He was all over the place, did some things that were amazing. Nobody could get near him. Uh, Ricketts had a strong game that day as well, what I can remember. And um, and again, showed that squad because Ricketts was, was obviously a third striker behind um, Altador and Jovinko. But, you know, when you think of the moments that Ricketts and, and Hamilton had at different times in that season as well, it, it showed how deep they could be and how potent they were when they went forward. Yeah, I wanted to finish this off by, you know, you mentioned the the whole squad having confidence and, um, you know, w- when you're winning, it's it's hard not to. But one player who had a bit of a difficult time during that stretch was Jonathan Osorio. And that was partially due to the tactical switch. You know, they did play that 4-4-2 diamond the year before, um, which obviously had one extra central midfield spot, whereas, uh, the you know, both him and Armando Cooper kind of got lost in the numbers as a result of switching to three central midfielders. But... Um, I remember him tweeting after, I think it was the SKC game, the home opener after he missed a couple chances, tweeting an apology. Um, you know, he, he obviously would go on to have a great 2017 MLS Cup final, but what, what must have that been like for Osorio 
a player who was a pretty consistent starter the years before and then um you know had it had trouble getting minutes to start that 2017 season uh i could only imagine i could only imagine what it's like um hitting that point where you kind of you're at your hometown club and you're out the team and you maybe don't quite see a way back in and you know you've had a tough time at the start of that season he, he did he did miss a few chances that day but it was maybe his lowest point at TFC and this is the point where I want to give him so much credit because he could easily just have wilted and, and went away and just accepted a, a substitute role but you know that's not in Ozo's nature that's not the kind of guy he is he, he's, he's a incredibly um, incredibly observant man and he's a guy who is a great student of the game and so instead of like sulking and I'm sure he was disappointed but but basically um, you know being overly disappointed about being at the team he decided that he was going to watch a guy like Victor Vasquez closely and see what made him so good and, and realise that actually I'm capable of doing quite a lot of the things that Victor Vasquez does and eventually and we never really seen it in 2017 but we did see it in 18 and 19 and 20 so far we see a player who maybe this is actually the, one of the defining moments of his career being out the team sometimes it's Weird, but you never want this at the time. But watching football is actually sometimes better for you than playing football because you can take a step back and you can see maybe what you're missing in your game and you can observe someone else and pick up some some points to their game that's going to help you. And I think this was a big moment for Rosario. I think that he learned so much from Vasquez and he improved so much as a player from spending some time on the sidelines and as a man. His maturity levels went up a great deal in this season by being on the sidelines and learning how to be a team player. That I think it's it's gave him the career that he's he's currently enjoying right now. He's a, a you know one of the, the first names in the team sheet for the Canadian national team. He's an important player for TFC, and I think this was a defining moment in his career. So yeah, it was disappointing, and I'm sure it was frustrating, but he went about it the right way, like a true professional, and he's reaping the rewards because of it. We don't want to let you leave though without just a nice little here at Derby Mag. We like we're here for the banter. Okay. Um, and we just want to remind people of the record that Mitch and I have versus you on the okay. uh, on the pitch. Um, and, and I, I I like how you said sometimes you got to watch the game um, <laughs> to really to see those results. And I, I think that's what happened this past summer when um, Mitch and I and and the rest of the waking staff uh, took home that KJ Classic in PKs against you and uh, your, your team. But that's all. Thank you for coming. Not happy about um, that, guys. <laughs> I'm waiting for the rematch. I've been studying and getting ready for the rematch. Oh, we've been doing some recruiting. We've been, <laughs> we, we're, we want more stars. I feel sorry for you if you've watched any tape of my game, but I remember that your, <laughs> your team not letting you uh, take a penalty in that game. That might have been actually the defining moment of that was oh, they decided they were going to step up. Big mistake. They made the big mistake. The captain chose the wrong uh, player to take the penalty. I'm throwing him under the bus. <laughs> I, yeah. I hear excuses, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Stephen, for yeah, joining thank us. thank you. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Thanks again to Stephen Caldwell for hopping on the podcast. 
I think probably for both of us, the big takeaway from that was, man, that Toronto FC team was was incredibly deep. You know, in a salary cap league where you can only have so many players, it's incredible how many players they were able to, uh, you know, get under one roster. And that's obviously a credit to Tim Bezbachenko and his staff. And one thing I just took in is how many Canadian players, um, which is dope, were showed up and and kind of helped provide the depth to the team. Um, Because like, if you think if you think about it, um, and Caldwell was talking about it, um, Hamilton had showed out, Ricketts showed out like a lot. He was scoring bangers. Mm-hmm. Um, Edwards was showing out, and it, it was just like cool to see not only um, the depth, but I'm just taking in how like it was a lot of Canadian talent that was um, doing bits on the field. Yeah, Jay Chapman as well. Um, yeah, got a couple of looks during that stretch, and yeah, you mentioned Tosin Ricketts, and there was a. I mean, again, when Sebastian Javinko missed five games, they leaned a lot on Ricketts, and he had a couple of really big games. Again, that their first loss this season came against the Columbus Crew, and it was, uh, um, you know, a tough loss where they got scored on really late. Well, they they reversed it against the Crew the next time they played them, and Toss had both of those goals late in that game. And then the next game, he scored late against Minnesota, and then he he almost scored again against uh, the New York Red Bulls, I think it was, in the, in the third game where um, he fired one off the crossbar and then had, had a goal disallowed for offside. But, you know, again... I forget when- what, what, what the game was, too, where... Uh... It was Josie was like putting in work um, on on the outside of the box on the left side, um, and then he crosses it in, and Ricketts just glides in the air. Yeah, that was the Minnesota game. Our, yeah. our mutual friend Andre Vardy has a sick photo of Toss just celebrating in front of the in front of the fans. There, we might we might include that in our newsletter if uh, one time for Andre Vardy, real quick. Locate one, it. just one time. <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely, and you know, again, that just showed the the depth of this team and. Um, the, the skill that they had throughout the lineup. Now let's get into the, the quiz portion of our show. We have five questions again this week for you guys. We talked about some of them over the course of today's show. So were you paying attention? Exactly. We'll find out. Uh, question number one, who scored the first goal of Toronto FC's 2017 season? Against who did Toronto FC get their first win in 2017? Who did Toronto FC play in their 2017 home opener? How many games did Toronto FC lose over the course of the 2017 season? And who scored the lone goal in Toronto FC's 1-0 win over the Seattle Sounders on May 6th, 2017? And be sure to follow Derby Mag and Footy Talks on uh, social media. Um, we will be posting the uh, quiz questions on the Derby Magazine Instagram story. So be on the lookout for that. Um, and we can't wait to hear from you guys soon. And as always, the newsletter will go, go out on Monday as well. Uh, a couple of Tegos photos, some of my articles from the time will be included in that. And next week on the maybe, show... Maybe Andre Vardy's photo can make it in there? I think so. I think I have that photo on my computer. So, And if not, we'll reach out to Andre to, to get an incredible shot. Um, and, and as I mentioned, next week on the show, Canadian Championship Week, where we'll look back at the 2017 Voyagers Cup and how Toronto FC got there.